All right. Well, here we go. Let's, uh, let's pray and then we'll, we'll dig in. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning that you've given us, the breath that you've given us in our lungs, the, the sunshine, the, you're just good in so many ways, and we thank you that we can be here again to consider life and ministry and, and how we may get our minds around this issue of mental health, and we just pray that you be with us during this time. Guide my words, Lord. We pray this in your name. Amen. So last time we took a look at the complexity of the human being. And we noted that we were a body, spirit, mind entity that functions in physical, spiritual, mental, and social realities with all the accompanying moods and emotions that go with that. Consequently, when we look at depression, anxiety, or other mental health issues, we need to consider that many times, probably most times, the dynamics of what is happening within the individual is incredibly complicated and not at all easy to figure out. And we took a look at some of the theories of depression and we saw that they all had something to offer, but were not in themselves the complete picture. And this further highlighted the fact that we are complex beings and that we cannot be reduced to simple theories and explanations. Today what I'd like to look at is the causes of depression, some of the causes of depression, and you can see that in your, your handout there. And if we are a body, mind, spirit entity, then it makes sense to think of the causes of depression as being physical, mental, or spiritual. And problems in each of these can be a cause of depression, and so we will look at each realm in turn. But if they are not the cause, then they, are, they certainly become a reinforcing factor once the whole whirlwind of interrelated processes is started. Okay, so they all have, at some point, something to contribute to the depression. So the first thing um, many people um, identify with depression is that there often seems to be some kind of trigger, something that gets the ball rolling. And many people who experience these triggers end up then maybe developing a depressive illness. So some of the, the triggers that are quite common is first of all stress. Stress. And, and one of the stresses that seems to be a big thing is a life event of some kind, such as marriage or, or moving, exams, bereavement, long-term illness, unemployment, birth of children, some life event, significant life event. To experience stress as a result of these events that cause a dip or lowering of our mood is normal. 
these life events causing us to be maybe um, muted in our mood is, is normal. And when these stressors pass, our brain chemistry usually returns to normal, as does our moods and our emotions. But sometimes an event is protracted in terms of length, so it's a really long event, or in terms of the number of life events that seem to be piling up one on top of another. And the result is often that we don't snap back. Okay? And some people don't snap back into regular moods and thinking. And this is depression. For someone with a genetic predisposition to depression, the triggers may not even have to be all that big. Okay? So my, I said before, my dad, my mom, my sister all experienced severe depression. And, um, and when I was um, getting married, it seemed to, be, seemed to be the point where it hit me. And I am still dealing with it 30 years later. Another stress that is common is lifestyle. And while we may have little control over life events, lifestyle is something we have a large amount of control over. Much of our stress is of our own making. And as David Murray says, much of the increase in depression and anxiety today is largely the result of an unbalanced lifestyle where people are, on the one hand, working too hard and spending too much, and on the other hand, are exercising, resting, and sleeping too little. It is often the case, when lifestyle is the culprit, that when a balanced and healthy bunch of practices are regained, the depression goes away. And having said this, if this has been going on for some time, though, unhealthy habitual patterns of thought may have developed that are hard to break. And this could then lead to a lengthier depression. But with a hopeful prognosis, because as the thoughts are worked on and with the stressors adjusted, there should be significant relief, you would expect. Another stress, a trigger, another trigger other than stress is, is seasonal triggers. And many people become depressed in the winter with a lack of daylight, and I'm sure you've heard that before. And you wake up in the dark, you go to the work in the dark if you're not blessed with windows and you come home in the dark. Of course, the sun gives us vitamin D, which is probably part of it. Vitamin D and magnesium are important for mood. So if you have a vitamin D deficiency, which a lot of people in Canada have, we're, like my doctor said, we're chronically uh, low in that department. Um, that's something to, con to, to consider. And it's also just gloomy, isn't it? It's not just that you're not getting vitamin D, it's, it's also just gloomy. There's a reason people associate darkness with depression, because it's gloomy, 
No one likes darkness. It's not light. Another trigger that is common is postpartum um, depression, postpartum issues. It's normal to feel the blues after delivery. Apparently, starting two to three days after delivery, and often lasting for a couple of weeks. It's, it's not uncommon. And commonly it includes mood swings, crying spells, anxiety, difficulty sleeping. And it's thought that this likely results from a combination of physical and emotional factors. According to the National Institute of Mental Health, after childbirth, birth, the levels of hormones, estrogen and progesterone, in a woman's body drop quickly, creating chemical changes in the brain, which we have seen can affect thinking and mood. Also, many new moms find it difficult to get the rest they need after giving birth. Sleep deprivation can lead to body pain and exhaustion, which may also contribute to the symptoms of postpartum depression. And when I was looking at this online, they now recognize that fathers can have postpartum depression, which I, I wouldn't call it postpartum depression. I would call it the result of a life event, a stressor, a change, because really, well, maybe in this stage, people want to call it postpartum depression because the gender and sex things are all out of whack. Another area uh, that we can look at when it comes to causes of depression are the psychological causes. So that was, that was, those were triggers, right? recognizing that oftentimes something will trigger the episode. But this, our psychology, specifically the way we think and the way we feel, can, can result in depression, along with a depressed mood. And some of the, and, and the, some of the thoughts that, um, that we deal with are, are directly the cause of that, okay? So faulty thinking is both a cause and a symptom of depression. To decide if it's the cause or the symptom, though, is like trying to decide what came first, the chicken or the egg. It's both. And while we cannot always change the circumstances we find ourselves in, we can and we should work at changing our thinking. These are some of the most common thinking patterns that will drive and result from depression. And they're from David Murray's, Murray's book, Christians Get Depressed Too. And, and when these patterns are identified, they can be challenged with truthful statements and thus changed. So the first kind of thinking that, that people fall into that is unhealthy is, is false extremes, false extremes. Black and white thinking or all or nothing thinking. So for example, you make one mistake and you conclude that you are useless and will always, it's, you're, you're worthless. So one mistake renders you worthless at whatever task you are performing. Or you have a, a sinful thought in prayer or when you're praying or about God, and you assume then, I'm apostate. I can't be a Christian. 
So false extremes. Another one is false generalizations. When experiencing one unpleasant event, we conclude that it will always be that way. It will always continue to happen or nothing will change. So for example, if you are rejected or rebuffed, you conclude that you will never be accepted by anyone. When you try to be a witness and you are mocked, you conclude that you will never be an, an effective witness. And that has a lot in common with the false extremes, right? But in this case, we're, we're, we're coloring everything with the same brush. Another thinking pattern is using a false filter. So the negative thought, the negative is thought on, thinking about negative things to the exclusion of anything positive. It's the opposite of rose-colored glasses, if you will. If you do 90% of something well, it's the 10% that you think about. Or you hear something in a sermon you don't like, and you think about that to the exclusion of everything else. So, and some people just seem to be negative thinkers, right? Everything is negative, no matter how positive things are. Another area of false thinking is false transformations. So, neutral or even positive events are transformed into negative ones. So a compliment or a helpful suggestion from someone else is turned into a source of suspicion that person's manipulating me or an attack on your ability or competence. And this is something I, I fall, I definitely fall into. And, and one of the ways that I know I'm getting depressed and Melody recognizes it in me is I, I skew everything she says, even the positive. Everything is skewed into something negative. So that's a false transformation. A person in church who is trying to be loving and good, you might think, well, they're just hypocritical. Like everyone else in the church. Another false pattern of thinking is false mind reading. And we think we can tell what a person is thinking about us and that that person hates or views us as being stupid. So you wrongly interpret people's actions or inactions as reflective of thoughts about you that simply aren't true. If someone passes you without saying good morning, or if someone isn't as enthused about something that you are enthused about, you conclude that they are offended by you in some way or they just don't care. You're trying to get in their mind and, and assume motive. Another pattern of thinking is false fortune telling. We feel so strongly that things will turn out badly that our thoughts are taken as an already established fact. So you're sure that you will always be depressed and never be better again. 
or you are aware of your sin and are determined that there is no way you will ever be able to grow in sanctification. You, you've determined the future based on what you're feeling and thinking. And another one is a false lens. We have a few more. False lens. Um, this is different than a false filter. Well, it's kind of like, the it's really related to the false filter. When we view our fears and errors and mistakes through a magnifying lens, that is using a, a false lens. So a filter is filtering everything through so that you only see the negative. But a false lens is, is where you, you, um, you view small things as big things, making mountains out of molehills maybe. If you make mistakes, say at work, you deduce ca catastrophic consequences. I will be fired if I make a mistake, small, big. Despite having received forgiveness from God, you continue to focus on your sins in ways that lead to condemnation. Yeah, there's guilt for the sin, but you've taken something that then Christ has paid for and is forgiven, and you make it this big, insurmountable mountain. Another set of false thinking is false feelings-based reasoning. So this is where emotions are taken as truth. What I feel is true. And that is a, one of the predominant symptoms of our society. Whatever I feel is true. Feelings determine the facts. So you feel useless, you feel useless, so you conclude that you are useless. You feel unforgiven, so you conclude that you are unforgiven. False shoulds is another pattern, two more. We dominate our thoughts with shoulds and oughts that create unattainable standards for ourselves and others. So we think we should do something like keep the house clean at all times when it's virtually impossible because I have six kids. You feel you have to be at every prayer meeting, event, and respond to every need in the church while you work two jobs and you can't get to everything that you're truly responsible for, like the needs of your family. So false shoulds. I should be this and this and this and this. But... That's a standard no one is expecting of you, right? And false responsibility, the last one. We, assure, we assume responsibility when it's not ours to assume. So you take responsibility or someone else's outcome. So let's say your child does not get good grades in school. So you conclude that you've not done enough to help them. Or when your child turns his back on the Lord and, and the church, you conclude that you failed in your task as a parent. That's not your, it's not on you as if you're responsible for their decision. 
So the point in looking at these thoughts is not that you need to remember them all, and, and, but it's just to point out that these thoughts are common. We all have these thoughts from time to time. These are common to people. And some people, though, you can see that this is your pattern of thinking. This is now a pattern of thinking. And where these thoughts become a pattern of thinking, it's going to take effort and work to turn that around. So next week when we talk about the cures, that'll be one of the, the solutions in, in, or the cures in dealing with depression is attacking false thinking. But our thinking patterns can be very real sources of depression. Now the, the good news then is if that's the main cause, once you learn to think differently, we should experience relief. So we had triggers as a cause. We have our psychology and our thinking as a cause. Let's talk about sin as a cause. Sin. Certainly non-Christians may be depressed because of their sin. Though they may find relief through various treatments, these people need Christ. So consider these verses. This is Ephesians 4:17. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. Or Romans 1.21, For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Or Romans 2, 14 to 16. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them on that day when, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by, Jesus, by Christ Jesus. So if I were to put these verses together, I would say that while people are busy suppressing the truth, there can be a very real sense in many people that there is something better and holy and more fulfilling, more purposeful to life that goes deeper than living from pleasure to pleasure, that seeks to answer big questions of life and death. Non-Christians will feel that. It's depressing. It's depressing. Okay? And you can see in these verses, too, the, relate, the uh, link to futility and, and darkness. Okay? And, and so that definitely can happen. To the degree that this happens... People may become depressed over guilt, futility, the darkness of their life. It's, it's, it's not right, but they don't know what it is that's not right, that they need Christ. 
In this case, pills, secular therapy, is like putting a Band-Aid on a cancerous wound. They are fundamentally at odds with reality. So sin can cause depression. But a person who is a believer can also experience depression as a result of sin. And, and I think in two main ways. For a believer, one of the sources of depression resulting from sin is by making a practice of sinning. In 1 John 3, 4 to 10, John describes the incongruity of being a Christian and practicing or deliberately sinning. And Thessalonians 2.12, amongst others, exhort us to walk in a, manny, in a manner worthy of the Lord. And then Thessalonians 2.12 adds, worthy of the Lord, of the God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. One of the works of the Spirit is to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. We are told that this is a direct advantage to the disciples in verse 7 of John 16. That this is to your advantage, that the, that the Holy Spirit will convict you of sin. So to the disciples, the Holy Spirit will convict you of sin. And he will guide them in truth. So consider that if you're a Christian and you are depressed, it may be because you are a Christian and are walking in ways that are not in keeping with your calling. In this case, the Holy Spirit is troubling your hearts. Rightfully so. What a good thing. It's like, it's like feeling pain when your hand touches the stove. That's a good thing. This is a good depression, if you can just call a depression good. Then the answer is simple, but maybe very hard to do, depending on how far down that road of deliberate sin you've gone, and that is to repent. If you're deliberately sinning, and you are a Christian, but you've been caught now in a cycle of deliberate sin, oh, may the Holy Spirit trouble your hearts and cause you to feel in turmoil. That's a good thing. If you are depressed, and you consider yourself a Christian, one of the first things you need to take stock of is your Christian walk. So I'm depressed, I'm a Christian, why am I depressed? First thing, take stock of your Christian walk. There can be no peace if you're not walking in a way integral to your calling. That is something that unbelievers won't experience like we will. Integrity is a lack of soundness and that is what you will experience. And all I can say to that is praise God. So, sinning, making a practice of sinning, a source of depression for the Christian. Um, slipping back into legalism can be a really real source of de sinful depression. 
I'm assuming here that the Christian knows the gospel and the fact that our salvation and standing with God is based on grace and not works. If they don't, that's the first order of business. However, a person may know this and slip back into thinking that they have to prove themselves to God or prove that they are a Christian by the things they do. And we all can slip back into that thinking because that is our human pride at work. We all fall into this from time to time and perhaps for extended periods of time. And that is why we need to be reminded of the gospel all the time. We never graduate from the gospel. We need to be reminded that faith is a gift, not a result of works, like Paul reminds the Ephesians in Ephesians 2, 8-9. You could call this the sin of unbelief and failing to rest in the sufficiency of Christ. If this is your approach to salvation or has become something you have slipped back into, you will rightfully sense the futility and sin of it. And you should. Again, by the Spirit. Okay? And that's God at work. Praise God that he doesn't leave us alone in our sin. Right? That is a benefit to us. It should be noted that there may even be sin that you are not aware of. Okay? What about this sin that in our lives that we are not aware of? You're not aware of it at a conscious level because the Lord has not revealed it to you. Or perhaps you, you do, but you're not really thinking about it much of it. And you don't really see it for the sin that it is. It's, it's not really the, the sin that you, you think it is. You feel something at a deep level that for you has no definition. There's sin, but you're, you're not really aware of it. There's, it's, if, you, if you are aware of it, it's, it, it, it doesn't strike you as being such a big deal. Well, this may very well cause you to be depressed. It may even be that the Lord keeps something hidden for a time. Because whatever his purposes are, which we don't know, he may keep something hidden for a time and then, after a time, brings it to light, and it's like an epiphany. In terms of sin, the Lord will reveal what he will reveal when he wants to reveal it. And when he does, then you need to repent. But until then, until he reveals it, you keep pressing on. You keep putting one foot in front of the other. It may even be that having that sin revealed and having repented from it, perhaps though you still aren't better. But that doesn't mean that it, you, you didn't need to repent from that sin. It's still a good thing, even if it's not, okay, well, I still have my depression. Yeah, maybe. But you still needed to repent from that sin. Now, having said all of that, while sin can cause a depression, you could call it a spiritual depression with a very spiritual cause, we have to recognize the fact that depression isn't always caused by a direct and identifiable sin. 
though it is still the result of sin in a general fallen world sense, we are a broken people who are at odds with God's ultimate desire for us as a result of this curse that we live under. There are those who tend to think that all depression, all depression is a result of personal sin. And blaming our depression on our sin, writes David Murray again, blaming our depression on our sin is not only often wrong, it is also harmful. It is harmful because it increases false guilt and deepens feelings of failure. So more on sin and, and depression when we talk about the Christian um, in, lesson, in lesson six. So we'll talk more about sin and, and how that works itself in here. I just want to recognize right now that, that sin is a real cause of depression. It can be. Well, what about sickness as a cause for depression? Just regular physical illness. The biblical counseling movement kicked off in the late 60s to early 70s and was led by a, a fellow called Jay Adams. And his influential work he wrote on competent to counsel. This movement gained momentum um, when this pastor, Jay Adams, was becoming, an increasingly, was becoming increasingly troubled by the defer and refer attitude he saw developing in many churches. Mental health and mental health professionals were the experts and churches were increasingly handing responsibility for the pastoral care, care of counseling over to them. The biblical counseling movement Jay Adams helped to found stood in, op in opposition to this trend. This, I think, was right, and it needed to be done. But according to Jay, and according to Jay Adams, troubled people in the church didn't need mental health experts, but pastors because the wisdom they needed wasn't found in secular psychology, but in the Bible. And, and, the, and the reason is because that, that um, and one of the things with Jay Adams then is, is he, he went too far in that regard. He went too far when it comes to mental illness. He held the view that most, if not all, mental turmoil especially related to illnesses with everyday and normal aspects like depression and sadness, anxiety and worry. He held that it was volitional and could be corrected with proper exhortation and application of biblical truth. That is, it all resulted from personal sin and the failure to apply biblical truth. And that's where he went too far. Since then, and I think rightfully so, the Christian counseling movement, if you will, there's a whole realm of Christian counseling out there, has become much more nuanced and realistic regarding mental illness. It has. It's, it's been changed. Consider a person who had 
a debil- who has a debilitating arthritis or Parkinson's disease or, or some other physical illness. I don't think there is a pastor who wouldn't suggest some kind of medical intervention. Even while they may be doing the spiritual work of helping the person pick up the shards of disappointment, bitterness, and, and anger, and whatever, doubt. The biblical counseling movement has become much more open to the complexity of the person and the possibility of physical causes in mental illness. It isn't the defer and refer attitude that, James rea- that, that Jay Adams reacted to. Perhaps we could call what is, what, what is this whole attitude now as the consider and consult, consider and consult attitude, which cons- contains the realization that medical interventions may, and I'm going to stress the word may, play a role in treating the person, even as the spiritual issues are diagnosed and dealt with. One could then see, a po- po- see possibly a psychiatrist or their family doctor even while they are experiencing and receiving counseling from their pastor. That it's not mutually incompatible with this view. And I stress the, that medications may play a role in treatment because in a society where any negative feelings or sadness is intolerable, many people may be medicated when they don't need to be. And I, I certainly think that's true. We have to be aware of the societal motivation to eradicate anything negative in a person's life. But, Nevertheless, to say that mental health issues such as depression are volitional and outside the realm of medical care is simplistic and naive. I'm thankful for the swing of the pendulum, which rightfully swung in reaction to that giving over of counseling to secular the secular community, it rightfully swung, but as often things do with the pendulum swing, it takes time to come back and settle near the middle, doesn't it? The whole reason for this course is the recognition that we can understand and counsel and minister to those who are depressed or anxious, or insert whatever mental illness you want, but that we need to recognize where we are limited and where we may need to seek additional help. So all this to say that mental illness can have very real physical causes. And again, David Murray and Christians Get Depressed writes, just as the curse on this world and our bodies can cause mechanical, chemical, and electrical Problems in our hearts, our lives, our pancreas, our eyes, and other body parts, we can also have mechanical, chemical, and electrical problems in our brains, which may affect the way we think and even our personalities. And I'm looking at the time, and I'm going to hurry through this last section because I think I kind of got off script in my passion there. 
What about sovereignty as a cause? Ever consider sovereignty a cause of your depression? In John 9, 2 to 3, the disciples wanted to know who sinned, the man or his parents, that the man was born blind. And Jesus answered that it wasn't anyone who sinned, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. In other words, the illness wasn't due to specific human sin, but rather due to the fact that God had his own purposes for the illness. David Murray writes, as hard as it may be to accept, the ultimate cause may be it pleased God. It pleased God. Why does God do what he does? Well, man should tremble to even ask the question. God owes us nothing, and we deserve nothing. Everything is grace. Even if we are afflicted with an illness and we suffer, God is in the business of redeeming our suffering. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 4.17. If you were to ask God why he gave you a certain illness, cancer, diabetes, depression, Parkinson's, and he actually answered you with, through it, I'm preparing something wonderful for you that will last for eternity, not just these few years that pass like a vapor. Would we respond with, please don't do that? I don't think so. But that's what he's doing. This he has, oh, sorry, um, while, while he knows us each individually, our individual frames and proclivities, and in his wisdom and omniscience allows certain things in his children's lives that, while they may be a judgment on non-regenerate man, for his children serve the eternal joy, their eternal joy and eternal capacities. And this he's promised. He's promised this. All things work for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So we will talk about the Christian again and depression in Lesson 6. One of the main tasks of the Christian is to redeem their suffering. Redeem their suffering. Yes, God does the redeeming work and works it for our good, but the Christian's job is to come to a place of healthy acceptance of their illness as opposed to a morbid resignation. We work out our salvation with fear and trembling even as it is God who works in us to the same end for his good purposes. So consider then that there may be no obvious reasons for your mental illness or even ill health other than God has not merely allowed it but even ordained it. That is not to say that we don't seek treatment but that it may be a long road of recovery or maybe even a lifelong battle for as, as long as the Lord allows it. The good news for the Christian is that one day you will be cured. For the non-Christian, they will long for their earthly depression. For what they will experience will be far worse. They will long for that time of depression. But for the Christian, it gets better. It just only gets better. And at, at the risk of jumping with both feet into lesson seven prematurely, we will we'll end there. So in conclusion, we've seen that the cause for depression are complex, even as the person himself is complex. And that's the, under, that's the overriding emphasis that I want to put out there. We may never know the causes, but as we will see next week, if we treat the whole person, 
the whole person and take a comprehensive approach to our health in accordance with our complexity, we will have a much better chance of addressing the causes even if they are hidden. Right? Boy, time flies. I'm sorry. But again, if you, I, I will have at the end, la, uh, the, last, la, the last lesson will be a Q&A period. So if you're thinking I have these questions, I didn't quite get to answer them, and you, you want to email me, email me, Calvary Grace. And, um, and then I will try to include them in the last lesson. Let's pray. So Heavenly Father, even as we look at the causes of mental health and mental illness, and we know that you are behind everything that happens to us and nothing happens to us that is not out of your control. And while things may be complex and we may not be able to understand what is happening to us, we know that you do. And I pray, Lord, that you, you help us as, as those who may be depressed and, and also as those who will care for people who are depressed or anxious, that you give us wisdom, you give us humility, and you give us uh, our deep reliance on you. We pray this in your name. Amen.